the scripture reading will be Second Corinthians five, six through ten. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We will live by the faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him. For the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. You may be seated. Well, I'm delighted to be with you today, and I'm very grateful for your presence as well. And it's always an encouragement for me to be with you. I bring you greetings from the Midtown Church of Christ in Victoria, Texas, where we were engaged in a gospel meeting together. One was baptized, and I hope that uh, others were strengthened and encouraged in this holy faith. And I was happy to be with them, and I'm very happy to be back home with you, and thankful for the opportunity that brings us all together. As has been mentioned before, it's a beautiful day, and we're very grateful for it. Thank you for the singing, beautiful singing that we've had, the very fine prayers, the scripture reading, which has been read for us today. We're very grateful for that, and we're now prepared in heart and mind to enter into our uh, worship service. I appreciate very much those who filled in for me while I was away, Marco and Phil and others, and I always am appreciative of what everyone does in our worship together as we come together from time to time. Isn't this a great Bible passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5? It's uh, a verse that I read quite a bit, and it's that verse 10 that really uh, stands out, though each one of these verses are just great Bible passages, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about, the fact that we're all going to have to stand before God in judgment? The Apostle Paul was one that was so focused, I've thought a lot about his concentration and his focus and thought just what is there in this that I can take away that will help me with that Uh, how did he think what did he believe that would certainly help me in living the Christian life he would make such, such statements as it is no longer I that live but Christ lives in me Galatians 2.20 for me to live is Christ and to die is gain Philippians 1 and 21 Why have a life so saturated with the life of Christ? What motivated him to live that kind of life and to have such focus? I've thought a lot about it. I'd like to have that kind of focus where I have Christ just living in me, having the mind of Christ, thinking the way Christ would think and speaking the way Christ would talk and speak and and just living the way Christ would live is certainly the goal of every child of God and the goal of every Christian. And I thought as I read this particular passage out of Second Corinthians chapter 5 that there are two things that can help me with that. 
to have the Christ-filled life that Paul had that I really want to have and what I really need. And I feel like I need that. I need this idea of Christ really filling my life. And the two things that I saw in this passage is his motivation and his concentration. And I want to look at those two matters with you today. I I want to look at the motivation. And I I saw that as I was reading 2 Corinthians chapter 5, how that that was behind him, pushing him forward. But then I saw also in 2 Corinthians 5 this concentration which was ahead of him, which was drawing him in that direction. If I can somehow incorporate the motivation and the concentration, then I too will be able to be more like saying, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. To have the kind of focus that I should have as a child of God to live like God wants me to live and to be all that I can be as a child of God should be. Concentration and focus. I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I come to this passage, verse 11. He says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. In verse 12, We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. I think that's going to help me talk about the first part, the motivation. And then when I get to this point about the concentration, there's going to be some things about the life of Christ that will help me there that surely help the Apostle Paul. And by the conclusion, we ought to be more Christ-like in our way of living. If you're not a child of God, then you want to become one. If you're not a child of God, you'll want to repent of sin and confess your faith and be baptized into Christ and become a child of God and start this motivated, concentrated life of living for Jesus, the Christian way of life. Let's first talk about the motivation. And as I read through the passage in the paragraph, I saw three things that were not the motivation for Paul and one thing that was. And it took me back just a little bit, but I think I understand very much what he's trying to talk about. And one of the things that was not the motivation was this matter of the judgment. And you would think, well, now, wait a minute. Wouldn't that be the motivation behind what he does? Wouldn't that be the motivation for him to live the Christian life? After all, he's making the statement in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And I have to admit, judgment day has motivated me a lot because I know that I'm going to have to face God one day in judgment. And that verse 10 is very clear. All of us are going to do that. We're going to be before the great tribunal of God Almighty. In fact, he says, all must face the judgment of Christ. And, and I hope that that sinks in just a little bit. And as you go home today and in your private time with the Bible, I hope you'll spend some time with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It certainly motivated me. But in this context, I don't think that's the motivation behind Paul. Is it a legitimate motivation? Absolutely. People need to come to understand they're going to face God in judgment. It's not a matter of we're going to get by with it. We're going to have to face the consequences of our actions. For the child of God, it's a great day. 
for the non-Christian, those who are outside of Christ, it's going to be a horrible day. But all of us are going to face that day. Judgment before God Almighty. And it has certainly motivated me to live more like Christ. But I don't think in this context that's the motivation that Paul is talking about. One of the things that surely motivated me is my fear of hell. And I, I think that's a healthy thing to have. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. I'm in verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm trying to find the motivation that made Paul what he was. And it has certainly motivated me. I, I don't want to have to face the devil's hell. Uh, so many discussions about hell in the pages of the Bible... And you know the one who spoke more about hell than anybody else? That was Jesus himself. In Mark chapter 9, he said, Avoid going there. If your eye offend thee, cut it off, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. For it would be better for thee to go throughout life blind than to go where the worm dieth not and where the fire is not quenched. And he'd go on to talk about, If your right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from you. Or if your foot offend thee, cut it off and cast it from you. Because it would be better for you to go throughout life halt than to go where the fire is not quenched and where the worm dies not. And he's talking about the horror of hell. And he's pointing down to the valley of Hinnom, and in that valley, a little place in the southern portion of Jerusalem, they'd made it the garbage dump. The history of that place is amazing. It was during the days of the kings. And in those days, they were so wicked they actually sacrificed their children to the pagan god Moloch. I can't see how they could do it, but they did. And in years to come, the Jewish people were so abhorrent at what their forefathers had done down in that little valley, they made it the garbage dump. Moloch was in the form of a calf's head in a man's body. It's a hideous looking thing from archaeological discovery and it has its arms reaching out as if to welcome everyone. And what they do is in this metal statue they build a fire and they get it white hot and they would take their innocent babies and lay them on the arms of that white hot metal. And as they did they would beat drums and blow horns to drown out the screams of those infant children. And the Bible talks about in the days of the kings how they'd become so wicked in, in their understanding of things. They sacrificed their little children down in that valley. And when they came back from Babylonian captivity, it became so abhorrent to them that it became the garbage dump of the city. And they'd throw the refuse out in the in the valley, criminals of the state that had been executed, their fear was to be thrown out into the garbage dump where the fire is not quenched and where the worm dieth not. Death, corruption, decay, continual burning. Jesus said, hell is like that. It's so overwhelming in its consequences. You just don't understand it. The best way to get you to see it 
is to look what's going on down there in that horrible, despicable place, and you don't want that. Well, that would motivate me. And that's certainly a legitimate motivation. I don't want to have to face that. And I know that I am going to face that if I know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that would be legitimate motivation for me. And it's not a, not a bad perspective to have. I don't want to go there, but I am if I don't live for Christ according to the teaching of the New Testament. But in this context, that's not the motivation behind the Apostle Paul. Well, as I study a little more about the matter and I see what he's talking about, I can see, therefore, no what would he know about that? He, uh, he would know very well the fear of the Lord. He would know what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah, send them to cinder and ash, or how he would... And what about Nadab and Abihu? That would tend to cause one to respect the Lord more than before. Because in Leviticus chapter 10, they did not follow the will of the Lord in the matter of worship. In the old dispensation, and God punished them for the same. The concept of hell certainly is one that would cause me to stop and think about the matter. I, I think about, as I'm here, Matthew chapter 10. And in that particular passage, he makes mention of the very fact of what we should fear. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear destroy both soul and body in hell. The original word for that is Gehenna. It's not the word Hades. Hades is a Greek word which means the realm of the departed spirits. But Gehenna, which comes from that word Hinnom, the valley of Hinnom. Jesus is saying, fear God. He can cast you into hell. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. Hebrews 10 and 31 Therefore, knowing, Paul knows this, the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known of God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. But that doesn't seem to be the motivation here in this context. It certainly is a healthy motivation. It is a legitimate motivation. But it's not the one he's talking about here. Self-centeredness. A selfish egotism was not the motivation that caused him to do the great things that he did for the Lord or to live the Christian life. And he addresses that matter in verse 12 and 13. When you look at 2 Corinthians, you're looking at a book which really defends Paul's apostleship and his ministry. And he has certain critics at Corinth that say different things about him. One says this, one says that. And they're criticizing Paul. And some say, well, he's not as much an apostle as Peter. Or he's not really a genuine apostle. But Paul defends himself in 2 Corinthians. And that's much of what the book is about. 
And one thing, though, that he says in this particular context is that it's not because of selfish interest that I serve the Lord and and do what I've done for Him. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. 12 and 13, he's talking about his ministry there, and he's saying in that particular passage, we're not doing this for our own selfish ambition and selfish interest. That is not the motivation. What he can get out of it for himself is not what is motivating him to do what he did. Now, I think I've seen some of that in the pages of the Bible. When you look at Acts chapter 8, you got a guy there by the name of Simon. And when Simon saw the laying on of the apostles' hands, and how that the Holy Spirit came upon those upon whom the apostles laid their hands, he says, I want that. You see, Simon had uh, set himself up in front of the people as being a great person. And he said, you know, I would like to have that. I want to have the ability to, when I lay hands on people, they'll receive the Holy Spirit. He was a self-seeking, self-serving type of person. And Peter said, no, your money perish with you. He said, I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. You need to repent of this and pray God forgive you. That individual was told, You need to repent of your sin. Now, that's kind of a self-serving, self-aggrandizement whereby the individual is more concerned about himself, more concerned about promoting himself among other people. I'll tell you another instance which crosses my mind on this matter, and that is in Galatians chapter 2. More concerned about himself, you see. And who was that there but Peter? And when he saw those Jews, He withdrew himself from fellowship with the Gentiles because of the pressure that those Jewish Christians were placing on him. He's more concerned about himself there, you see, than doing the will of God. Sometimes a person can get into that. He can get into this self-serving, egotistical, self-centered type of attitude where he's more concerned about himself than he is doing the will of God. And that's certainly not the motivation of an Apostle Paul. And you've got to really stop and look at that in our own life and ask ourselves the question, you know, am I doing this to receive the praise of others and a pat on the back or what I can get out of it from other people or that sort of thing? And I talked to a businessman one time a few years ago, a number of years ago, and I never forgot his answer to me. And I asked him, why denomination? He says, well, I got a lot of business contacts out of that, so I joined that denomination. This is not the motivation for living the Christian life. Uh, This self-centered attitude is not what drove Paul and motivated him. It wasn't the judgment day. Though, I think that's legitimate. I know I'm going to have to face Christ one great day on the judgment. John chapter 12 and 48. The word that I will judge him in the last day. 
God's appointed a day, Paul said, Acts chapter 17, 30 and 31. Now God commands all men everywhere to repent because He's going to judge the world by that man, Jesus Christ, whom He raised from the dead. So that judgment day is a powerful point that I think about and you should think about with regard to our life and how we live it. But in this context, it's not the motivation. That terrible place the Bible calls hell is legitimate motivation. I don't want to have to think of the fact of going in eternity forever and forever, being alienated from all that is good, alienated from God's place called Gehenna, eternal condemnation. It's not a selfish, arrogant, ambitious idea that should be motivating me that I should be doing. But I see in verse 14, what is the motivation? The love of Christ. And he said in 14, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died. English Standard Version used the word control, and I guess that's a good way to translate it. Kind of a difficult word there. See in an older translation, constrains. Some translations will use the word compels. Some translations uses the word controls. I'm trying to understand verse 14. And I see the real motivation behind it all. The real motivation behind it all is not the judgment day, the fear of hell, and self-egotism. And even though those might be legitimate motivations, still who wants to live on that level? Maybe I was motivated to obey the gospel because I don't want to have to face a judgment. But who wants to live on that level? I would want to grow and mature to the point where I can say, it's the love of Christ that motivates me. I do this because Christ loved me. The word constrains or compels is a word which means pressure coming in from all sides. From this side from the front, from the back, I am constrained. I am compelled. I feel the need to follow Christ because Christ loved me. Motivation. No, I don't want to live on where I always live under the fear of being lost. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live fear of facing Christ on the day of judgment. I don't want to live like that. Is that a legitimate motive? Yes, it is. Do I want to live like that every day? No, I don't. I want to grow and mature and study the Word of God to the point where I can reach the type of motivation which says, I do this because I love Christ and Christ loves me. That's Paul's motivation. And Paul would be able for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I can do all things who strengthens me. And I see statement after statement like that 
from Him. And it's because He's motivated by the love of Christ. It compels Him. It controls Him. It constrains Him to do as God wants Him to do. And He's grown and matured to the point where He's not afraid of the judgment. And He's not afraid of hell. And He's not filled with a selfish ambition and egotism as He is filled with the love of Christ in His heart to do the will of God in His life. It's because of what Christ has done for me. But as I mentioned, there's two points, though, I think, that needs to be understood from this paragraph of scriptures. I'm working my way through that, and that's the concentration that the man has. And the reason that he has such concentration is because of the events which took place in the life of Jesus, and I think he isolates one great event in this chapter. As I am analyzing 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For the love of Jesus, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for them who for their sake died and was raised. One of the things that he concentrates on from Calvary is the fact that Christ was silent. And I'd like to think a little bit about that. I think he concentrates I need to. When he was reviled, he did not speak out against them. First Peter 2 and 23 he reviled not again. It would be my temptation and perhaps yours. Oh yeah, you want to say that and do that to me. Let me say something and do something to you. In like manner, but not Jesus. The silence of Jesus. The silence of Jesus so impressed Pontius Pilate. He says, don't you know that I can have the right to condemn you here? Jesus was silent. Go stand before Herod. Herod, a wicked world leader, such a political opportunist. He says, show me a miracle. He thinks Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. Show me a miracle. I want to see it. I guess life was dull in ancient times. Maybe he just didn't have the entertainment that we take for granted. He says, I want to see something special. Show me a miracle. And he doesn't, uh, Jesus doesn't respond. He's silent. Well, weren't you the guy that said, Tear his temple down, I'll build it back in three days. Weren't you the guy that said that? They railed against him. I wonder, what would I do in a situation like that? If I were the son of God, which I'm not, but if I were. If the roles were reversed, would I have that kind of silent, dignity about me that Jesus had. And I think Paul concentrates on that, leading him and motivating him to act the way Jesus acts, rather than reviling back and getting back at the person who treats us and, and speaks against us in such a harsh way. He's just silent. I would probably be like those two apostles. Let's bring down fire and brimstone on these people. Let's bring a bolt of lightning down and just really take care of them. Let's settle this right here and now. Bring a bolt of lightning down and wipe them out. That'd probably be our attitude. Not Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross and dies for people just like that. 
just like you and just like me. And that helped Paul concentrate on the kind of life that he should be living. But I want to emphasize the sayings of Jesus. I don't think it was just the silence of Jesus, but the things that Jesus did say on Golgotha that made all the difference. So Paul, and I like to talk about these points, and I don't have the time to do it. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Kindness. Forgiveness. Tender-hearted. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That's what he said to the thief. The bliss that is afforded to the faithful of God in the life after this one. Paul went to paradise, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he wrote just a little bit about it. It's always been a very interesting section of Scripture for us to study. He looks down from the cross and his suffering and his pain. He says, woman, behold thy son. He's referring to John. He says, son, behold thy mother. And he gives the care and the keeping of his mother to the apostle John. Concerned about his family. Ephesians 5 and 25. Talks about the importance of family. The Bible talks about older women teaching the younger women. Family is so important. I just believe that the sayings of Jesus on the cross helped Paul live the Christian life. And as he would concentrate on those things, he lived more like Jesus. My God, my God, forsaken me. The fourth thing that was said on that cross. A lot of discussion about the meaning of that particular phrase, but I'll tell you one thing that he had in mind there, his relationship with God. He was concerned about that. And so should we. Paul wanted to make before anybody else. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4. Sometimes God's the last one that we consider in our comings and goings, our ways, our doings. Jesus was concerned about his relationship with God, and we should be too. The fifth thing that Jesus said was, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. That is one thing we should say in our life. But I tell you what we ought to be thirsty for, the Word of God. So much so that we will do whatever we can, take whatever opportunity we have, to drink in this holy and inspired word. Finally, Jesus said, it is finished. And I don't look upon that as I'm defeated. But the scripture presents that statement from Jesus by saying, we did it. It's accomplished. The salvation of mankind has happened. It is finished. And it's not something that we've been defeated in. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and 7, Paul would say, I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. The last statements in the last portion of his life. And then the seventh thing that Jesus would say, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. We know that there's a day.
coming in which I'm going to turn over my soul to God Almighty, the one who created it and who provided this life for me. I'm saying these things he concentrated on, Paul did, which helped him in living the Christian life. He had the right motivation, and he had the right concentration. And he would concentrate on the silence of Jesus. He would concentrate on the sayings of Jesus. But there is one other thing the text tells us. He concentrated on the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus. And it's certainly an important point on the Apostle Paul. As I recall in the Scripture, Paul may be the last man to see Jesus. Now, I know John, writing from the island of Patmos, saw the vision of Jesus. And he would write the book of Revelation. He would write about that vision in chapter 1, chapter 2 of the book of Revelation. But to actually see Jesus, Paul may have been the last one to see Jesus. And in that regard, the last one to see Jesus out on the Damascus Road. His eyes there, the resurrected Christ, thus one of the qualifications of being an apostle of Christ. And it was not a matter of the silence of Jesus or the sayings of Jesus at that point. I think it was more of the sacrifice and the suffering of Jesus that goes on in his mind. And he recognizes this great concentration that you and I have been studying about. And in this concentration, he realizes now, because of my obedience to the gospel, I have a new relationship with Christ and a new relationship with God. And and he brings this point up in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The oldest pastor The new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now he focuses on that. And he realizes that he with God. In fact, I think five times in this particular chapter, this word reconciliation comes up over and over again. It means now... God's hand and my hand are in each other. Once again, I'm no longer separated from God because of the problem of sin, but now I'm friends with God, and we can walk, as it were, hand in hand with each other. Your hand and God's hand are now together. It's a matter that's been brought up with regard to the fact that Christ died for us. And that's what changes things for me. Now as a child of God, is the reconciliation that I have. I have fellowship with God because of my obedience to the gospel. Sacrifice of Christ, that's going to impact how we see each other. See, all the differences here today, there's uh, background differences and there's educational differences and 
There's financial differences, there's race differences, there's gender differences. But all that doesn't matter now because God's reconciled with Him. And those don't become important anymore. What becomes important now is, are you a brother in Christ like I am? Are you a sister in Christ like I am? <clears throat> this is the concentration now. You see, when I understand this matter of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation and how I've been reconciled to God through Christ, it impacts how we look at each other. It impacts about how we feel toward each other. It doesn't matter about the gender differences, the race differences, the financial differences. All that matters uh, is... Are you in Christ with me? Are you a brother and a sister along with me? Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the that means so much to me. It impacts what we do as a church. Because now that I've been and now that you've been obedient to the gospel and we come together to worship God, it impacts everything we do together. It impacts how we worship together. And as we're singing, oh how I that impacts you. And when I hear you sing that, that impacts me. And our taking of the Lord's Supper together and the preaching and the study of the Word of God, we're doing this together. This all impacts me as a child of God and, and my relationship with you. That's the concentration. That's the focus that I should be concerned with. and It impacts how I because I have this reconciliation with God. I understand about grace as best I can understand it. And I, I learn more about faith. And I want to read and study the Bible and learn as much as I can about truth. And I read all I can about the Bible. I want to learn as much as I can about life and how to live it properly before God. This reconciliation that I have with God impacts each other, the church, and even how I read and understand the Bible. Because now, I want to put that into practice. I've learned the motivation, and I've learned the concentration of what it means to be a Christian, and why Paul could say, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. How can you go from this building and not be a Christian today? How can you do that? How, how can you walk away from the invitation of the Lord, which beckons men to repent of sin and confess their faith in Christ and to be baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins? Be motivated by the love of Christ 
be focused by concentrating on how this great ministry of reconciliation causes us to once again and friends with each other united together in what the New Testament talks about as being the church of the Lord. It's an open Bible now. The open Bible tells us what all these particular matters really stand for and how we can become children of God. And I urge you to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation, setting aside all the little things that really don't matter and concentrate on living the Christian life faithfully. If you're not a child of God, you are one, but you're unfaithful, I urge you to repent of that today and devote yourself to living the Christian life. Take upon yourself the motivation. Have the concentration that it's going to take to live for Jesus. And I urge you to do it now. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.